0: where you can also learn more about working with me. Okay, leader, many of you have reached out and asked me what it's like to work with me in my mindful leader satisfied life circle. So I'm going to give you a very brief overview of exactly what you get in working with me for that six month program, you get transformation. You get walking into any room, any situation, knowing you belong, having control, having people come to you, but on a tangible basis. What does that look like? It starts with seven one-on-one laser-focused individual coaching sessions with me over six months, and then access to the six months of live weekly small group coaching calls, And because you know I only coach a handful of people, sometimes there are only two or three people on those calls. Sometimes it's only you and me. So that's like another weekly coaching session. And you get to get the perspective of other executive leaders who are in the same place that you are. Get six-month access to my Mindful Leader Satisfied Life time-saving assets, trainings, modules, and all kinds of workbooks that personalize this to you. The self-discovery is inspiring. Can't wait to get on to the next module and see how much more self-control you'll have over those negative thoughts that have been holding you back. There's a private online community where we can share daily questions, but the special bonuses you have 24-7 email access to me. I'm your coach on call. You want me to look at your resume, I'm happy to. Any of the exercises that you're having difficulty with, you don't have to wait to the call. You just reach out to me and I will get back to you within 24 work hours. You're having a problem at work with somebody, I'm your coach on call. There's a leadership intake analysis that I read on my own time so that I can get more background on you and not have to use up your sessions with me. And exclusive to this program, Flow on the Go Weekly Planner, where you can track your routines, track your gratitude, track what's changing, what's showing up for you. Well, What does this look like over the six months, Mary Lee? Okay, number one, that first month, you notice your patterns, your habits. You start noticing the patterns and habits of others. You have defined your signature strengths and your personal values, and you're applying those. And now you're starting to dream again. You have a vision for yourself, for your career, and your life. You've stopped judging yourself and others. In month two, this is where I've taught you how to self regulate with curiosity. You process difficult and stale emotions and release them. You replace your stuck story with how you're not whatever enough. And you are now creating a career plan with confidence, feeling worthy. You have self-control over negative thoughts, over your behavior, and months Three to six, you are playing blue sky big. You are soaring here. You are self-empowered. You execute your career and life plan. You shine, apply for stretch roles, if that's what you want. You have better relationships and control over your food intake, your sleep, your exercise, your self-care. You have compassion for yourself. And you know that person that you really dislike? You actually have compassion for them. So there is a link in the show notes slash consultation. Go ahead and apply. I will reach out. I'll set up a phone call with you. We can go over some of the details, but I'm interested in helping you be that mindful leader with a satisfied life. And there's no reason to wait because it happens quickly. Hi, leader, and welcome to the Still Space Podcast, episode 52. Leaders are losing trust. What do you do? Trust. Gallup reports that three key leadership tracking behaviors that drive alignment and execution have declined since the start of the pandemic. Most notable is a drop in trust in leadership. Only 21% of U.S. employees strongly agree that they trust the leadership of their organization. This marks a noteworthy decline from its 2019 peak of 24% and raises a serious question about morale in American business. So let's think about what work was like in your office before the pandemic. People were meeting in person. You pretty much knew the direction of the organization, and you knew your role and what was expected of you. Then the pandemic comes by, and now we're not even in the office. We're not meeting with the people that report to us. We're not meeting directly with our boss. And trying to manage a remote team is incredibly challenging. Most leaders report, and there are statistics on this, that They feel disjointed. It's hard for them to communicate with their team, lead their team, keep that culture strong. Their productivity is down. At first, everybody thought the productivity was the same, but now somewhat it's in question. The statistics on that are not as clear as they were initially. And a lot of leaders want their teams back in the office. I don't think we're ever going to go 100% 100% back in the office because the workforce has realized what it's like to be able to work from home, that they can get their work done, and it's up to now to leaders and management to figure out how to keep that going. So why this drop in trust? Think about it. If you're not meeting with people, if you're not standing around talking to them, if you're not eating together in the cafeteria, going out to lunch, having coffee with them, going out for refreshments after work, you don't have the same bond and you're not interfacing with people. And A lot of statistics are beginning to show that people who are not going into the office are not as positioned well for advancement, because they're not getting that connectivity with the leadership team. So this is hard for us as leaders to try and figure out, okay, if trust is down nationally, it's probably down a little bit in my organization and probably down a little bit on my team. Yikes, what do I do about that? Okay, so Gallup lists three key leadership behaviors. And I'm going to dive deeply into each of these. The first is that trusted leaders communicate clearly. When leaders clearly articulate their vision and the approach needed to achieve it, they offer their employees a roadmap of where to focus their energy. So many times we as leaders assume that our team understand what's going on in our head. And that's not the case. So you know the vision for your team, for your organization, and you're working towards that and you're delegating or managing projects around that, but does the team really see the why behind what you're working on and how that fits in to the vision of your organization? So I'll give you uh, an example I've been in my role as the president of a hospital foundation for 14 years. During that time, I've executed four capital campaigns and raised a lot of money for four different capital projects. And now I can see that there isn't a project out there where I think we can be successful. I think there's donor fatigue over these major capital projects, four in a row is a lot, and. I'm now moving the organization more into the grassroots needs of our patients in crisis, not so much capital, but now direct needs. And to help you understand what that might mean is if somebody... Uh, now all of a sudden is not able to ambulate and can't get to their second floor, they may have to move into a nursing home, whereby if we're able to put a stair glide up to their second floor, that keeps them independent in their home, not moving into a nursing home, and all of the issues that come along with that. Uh, Food for people who are being discharged that we know are going home to an empty kitchen cupboard. Compelling reasons that our donors are interested in that are a lot of little small things. So we're building campaigns around this. I see that the energy around this is going very well, and I'm now considering and pitching moving into an endowment campaign, which is where we will raise a lot of money, we'll set it aside, permanently restrict it, and then the earnings that that creates on an annual basis will fund these projects in perpetuity, and these are legacy gifts, okay? I'm now seeing all of this in my own mind. That doesn't necessarily mean that my team understands when I say, uh, let's create materials around raising money for this cause, what I mean by the big picture. So I'm very careful about communicating on a daily basis to my team what I'm thinking. I think out loud with my team. Because I know the cost of not doing this when I was or an early leader I didn't do this I just directed people And I didn't have the engagement near the engagement that I have today when I'm much more transparent. Not that I was hiding things before. I just thought it wasn't necessary, wasn't relevant, slowed the process. But now I can see that engaging them fires them up, gets them more creative, has them part of the process of actually creating what we're going to do. We're all excited about it. So Again, the first key behavior is trusted leaders communicate clearly. So what does that mean? So, Because I have to communicate this concept to my board of directors. I don't see my board of directors every day. As a matter of fact, most of them I don't see but five or six times a year. So this is a major development that the organization is going to move in a totally different direction And I have to think about how am I going to communicate this to them instead of just rolling out a PowerPoint that says, we're going to be doing this and this is how we're going to do it. And they're thinking about the why, why are we doing this? They're risk averse, right? Most leaders are uh, risk averse when it comes to putting assets at risk or setting goals that are not going to be met. So, I'm very succinctly, and sometimes this wakes me up in the middle of the night, I'm thinking about how am I going to communicate this. So here's an example, actually woke me up in the middle of the night of how I'm thinking I'm going to pitch this to the board. I'm going to say, when I first came here, I saw four capital projects that I thought we could be successful doing, and we have been successful at all of those to this point. I don't see another capital project where I think we can be successful. And yes, we're raising a million dollars a year for various causes, but I think we have an opportunity to make an even bigger impact as we've moved into supporting the uh, grassroots level needs of our patients. I think of this organization 15, 20, 25 years out when perhaps everybody sitting in these seats is no longer here maybe a new person in my role, maybe 22 new board members in these roles. And so we have no control about what this organization is going to look like at that time, but we have 100% commitment right now to these patients that are in crisis. So how do we make sure that no matter who is leading this organization, we have the ability to meet the primary mission here at the grassroots level need of our patients? What I am proposing is that we create an endowment for patients in crisis. This patient crisis endowment would come from an endowment campaign where we would set an initial goal of 500000 and within three years have a goal of $3 million. What will that do? That will spin off initially $25,000 on an annual basis. And if we hit the $3 million goal, we can count on $150,000 a year being set aside from now to eternity for the grassroots level needs of our patients so that they don't go home hungry, so that they don't go home in a hospital gown because we destroyed their gown in the emergency room trying to save their life, so that we continue to have special slippers for people who have serious wounds to their legs due to diabetes, so that we can provide shoes for people who have lost their limb because of diabetes, and they have a prosthesis, but Medicare won't pay for the shoe that goes on the prosthesis, so that if somebody breaks their walker, they won't have to wait five years till Medicare replaces that walker to ambulate in their own home. People in crisis don't get dentures or eyeglasses or hearing aids because Medicare doesn't cover that. These are people that have paid taxes and worked hard their whole lives, but now they're on a fixed income and they can't hear. So this example that I'm giving you is how I'm going to communicate this to my board of directors and how I communicated it to my team, which is a far cry different than saying, we're going to have a endowment campaign and we're setting a goal of 500,000 with a goal of 3 million in two years and we are uh, really excited about this and we hope you can support us. That's not the same. You can see the difference. So again, trusted leaders communicate clearly. Behavior number two, trusted leaders inspire confidence in the future. Leading change is much harder when your team can't make sense of it. Only 18% of employees strongly agree that their leaders help them see how changes made today will affect an organization in the future. And just two in 10 feel highly confident in their leaders to manage emerging challenges. So essentially, you're painting the picture of, here is where we're going, here's why we're going there, here's how we are going to get there in the process. So when I think of this behavior with respect to the story I just told you, think common sense-wise, you're saying to yourself, well, this is all well and good, Mary Lee. How are we going to raise that initial 500000 and that $3 million in two years? Okay, so I have to then add to this presentation, and I would say it just like this, I'm sure you're probably wondering how we're going to raise this money, so let me give you our plan. We know we need a $100,000 major gift to start the campaign. We are profiling our major supporters who are already invested in the mission of helping these patients in crisis. And we're going to have conversations with them, asking them for donations over two years with individual meetings. Before this, we want to create a committee of people, not necessarily all board members, of people who are interested in creating this patient crisis endowment and helping us make sure that we are able to help patients in crisis here. At this hospital in the future into perpetuity. Here are the various tiers of giving to the campaign. Here is the structure of building the group of people who we will meet with. Here's the case for support for this. Here is a role play of what some of those conversations will sound like when we meet with people in their homes or wherever appropriate to discuss this. Here is who would be appropriate to go on those calls, and here's a role play of what that would sound like. So now you're starting to see the form around the function of good communication and how this breeds trust and excitement. And the third behavior is Trusted leaders lead and support change. So you can see how I'm the one pitching this shift in the organization, not only downstream to my team and stakeholders, I'm because I consider my team those key stakeholders, but also to my board upstream so that they can understand where the organization is going and be behind us and supportive and contribute to that movement. Gallup reports that when employees don't trust leadership, the breakdown is often in the manager level, okay? So that's one level down from the C-suite. That could be mostly directors and then their managers. And I I sometimes find this flawed because how many of us have taken employee engagement surveys and then the organization turns around and blames the poor scores on the managers, which is just fundamentally not true. So I think that we have to look at this a little bit more broadly. From the top down, is the C-suite being transparent with each other? Are the VPs being transparent with the directors? Are the directors being Led by their VPs as to what those conversations should sound like, not sending out emails with bullets to discuss with your team. I think there has to be a one-on-one communication so that the energy is present, the passion behind the change is present, the form around the function of change is articulated soundly and so that the direct reports can see the enthusiasm that you have, can see that you believe in this change. To successfully navigate change, leaders need to make every effort to provide their managers with training that includes the tools to communicate, articulating the vision, explaining the why, answering questions, allowing space for questions to be asked, So maybe scheduling a meeting with no agenda other than I want to hear from you what you're thinking and answer any questions that you have. And helping their people believe in the change. Believe being a key word here. And here's seven principles of change management. Number one, clearly articulate the vision for change. Number two, involve the right people. Is it just board involvement? Is that enough? Do you need to have someone from every facet of the organization, every department, every level? Maybe a committee of frontline workers so that they can make sure they understand? Number three, communicate the right information at the right time. Don't be telling the community, what you're doing without having this buy-in from the internal team. Always account for resistance to change. And you do that by inviting what you think they might be thinking. You know, I know we're talking about this and I know it sounds a little scary and you might be thinking, we may not be able to accomplish this because, and then whatever those reasons are. And to be honest with you, sometimes, I worry about that too, but here's what I remember, and then insert all of the strengths or whatever it is that you know that your team or your organization does really well and has a track record of doing so that they can start to see, yes, fear is somewhat part of the process of change. That's a normal part of the process, but the same energy that goes to fear can go to excitement too. So give them a reason to convert that fear to excitement. Number five, celebrate short-term wins without declaring premature victory. And what does that sound like? In the scenario that I just described to you, a short-term win would be to have the board get very excited about this. A short-term win would be to get that first initial gift to kick off the campaign. Number six, effectively anchor the change to the organization. So when I was describing it earlier in this podcast, I described what the organization might look like 15, 20 years from now. And people listening to that probably have not thought about that. But they're thinking about well, I really want to make sure that the things that we care about today in this organization are still able to be addressed even when we're gone, legacy-wise. So the ch- what you can see that what we're doing is anchored to the mission of the organization in perpetuity. And you have to spell that out so that people can see it. And number seven, always plan for Change to be the only constant. And this is my most favorite on this list because it makes for an agile organization not a reactionary or complacent one. It makes you poised for change. The organizations that were able to be agile during the COVID crisis, namely healthcare organizations, were the masters at it. My foundation won an award for this during COVID. Most fundraising departments shut down because they were just too afraid of what to do and we went right out of the gate raising money for our nurses. We were extremely successful at achieving major grants from private foundations, community foundations and individuals to show our staff that they were supported and that contributed to the culture. because. A lot of healthcare workers were quitting during COVID, and of course, that would have contributed more to the crisis. So, your agility as an organization is measured by the agility of the leaders within the organization. And always be ready for change. Talk about how we're an agile organization, we're poised to shift whenever it's necessary. Yes, we may make decisions, but when we get new intel, We're going to change those decisions to be the most productive and effective that we can. And that is a continuity of theme that will serve you no matter what. In closing, I will say, while trust in leadership may measurably be down, that's a key indicator for you to put those three behaviors that we talked about today into practice within your leadership. Being sure to communicate very clearly, inspire a vision into the future, and lead and support change as a continual process within your processes. I know you've got this. Go get them. I'm glad you were with me today, and I invite you to subscribe to this podcast And get any of my free publications at my website, maryleegannon.com, where you can also learn more about working with me.